What's up, Chief? This is Bank Week. We're banking a lot of episodes. We had a lot of special guests this week. So. The only, bro, we don't bank. That's City National. Don't, <laughs> use, that around, don't use that around me or Brinks, which, whichever one. Okay, you're right. Okay. So we are not banking any episodes. We're just continuing to podcast at a breakneck speed. There we go. Nothing is different. Nothing has changed. And how do we still have stuff to talk about? God only knows. Uh, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy. I, I, what is it? Getting juice out of a rock? Is that what they call it? I don't know. You're the guy that likes a little stupid turn of phrase, so I kind of expect you to know the answer to those kind of questions. I speak very, I speak very formally and directly. So I speak in stupid turns of phrases. <laughs> and Chris, you, what, what are some of the more high-minded subjects that you kind of speak about? I wouldn't say the subjects are high-minded. I would say the language and delivery is high-minded. It's 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 more of an approach. I like to, you know, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's you've probably heard about this in the in the fashion space, but mixing high and low. Oh, oh, okay, so. So your is your version of high using like formal mm-hmm. grammar and punctuation marks? Yeah, I love punctuating text. That's pretty high on the list, but then I'll be talking about, you know. Chris, at what age do you think you're going to be when you start having to look down on your transition lens glasses? Before you sign your text messages? Oh, that could happen in the next five years. I mean, that, that could happen. That could happen in the next. I mean, I'm aging in reverse in some ways, but I think signing text messages is pretty cool. What if you're in like a, a, a half an hour long text thread communication? <laughs> you just Do you sign off every single one? And also, are you going to be the guy who writes CB or are you going to write Chris out? I think a CB. I mean, CB is how I sign my, my communication now. It doesn't CB. Seacrest say Seacrest out are you going to have your own version of that if I'm as rich as Ryan Seacrest then yes I will have my own version of that looking right now at the financials it's not I'm not there yet but I am I do have a good foot on you're him. not rich enough to say blackout no, is what you're no no I'm definitely not uh definitely not it's the legal fees alone yeah it could be it could be tough for me but yeah I think super sexy Ryan Seacrest is in in a lot <laughs> of ways not only my tooth goals, like he's got a beautiful set of veneers, mm-hmm. um, but also my money goals as well. Mouth and, and checking account are both on fleek, and you're envious of them. <laughs> yeah, Seacrest's mouth game is crazy, bro. It had better be. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know. I, I really want to know what went down for him to lose the Kardashians to Hulu. I think it was just time. I don't know, man. I mean, that either something, it, it probably was just money is, is the reality. I think that's all anybody cares about in that situation, but what a blow. But doesn't he get bought out as like a founding producer? Doesn't maybe? I mean, no, he might, he might still be involved. He might still be involved. He might still be involved. That's a good point. I mean, I think that the, I'm sure it was more of just the contract was up and they, you know went where the most money was yeah when when seinfeld bounces from tbs to netflix Mm -hmm. to whatever you know larry's still getting the taste did you see where britney spears says she didn't know who pete davidson was (laughs) (laughs) who asks her that i don't know but i think they they're someone's probably trying to have like a you know talk with her about what's if i had the chance to talk to britney spears in 2022 i'm not going to ask her what she thinks about back to ryan seacrest i he's a dream guest he's a dream guest for me is he though he's the kind of guy who wakes up at 4 a.m to record like radio even though he has a <laughs> 250 million dollars like it's it does it like guys who do 4 a.m radio when they're that rich like that's some other shit you're on another level of like yeah i i am a type a motherfucker i think about about that sometimes with like Howard Stern where he's you know he makes so much money 
doing his radio show. And I wonder if he looks, you know, for so many years, those morning radio people, they're like, yeah, my life is a nightmare. I go to bed at 6 p.m. every day and I wake up at 3 a.m. every day. I'm doing that for I'm doing that for fucking free. So Sirius <laughs> XM bang my line. But I know, but you're you're not showing up to an office building at 350 a.m. to start your job. And that was it was just like, well, I'm a million, you know, I'm, I make tens of millions of dollars every year. And as a result of that, my life has been flipped, turned upside down, mm-hmm. complete 180 of what normalcy is. And you turn into, you know, it must, it, it feels very lonely and it must affect your social life and your relationships and your family. But you're like, well, I'm a famous multimillionaire person. And then Howard Stern's sitting there, you know, reading the newspaper and he's like, oh, this. Oh, the podcast? They just record it whenever <laughs> yes, hold they on, want. Hold on, You say they do. They record it whenever they want, and then they just put it out. You're saying you're want. saying Jake Gyllenhaal went on a, a restaurant in London's <laughs> podcast, and they recorded that whenever and then posted it whenever they felt like it? And these guys, make, how, Joe Rogan made a hundred, $200 million plus bonuses, and he just, he just shows up at four in the afternoon, smokes a cigar <laughs> with some fucking Republican, <laughs> and then... <laughs> Eats a eats a bison steak and then that's literally goes what Joe out, Rogan goes out all night. Every every episode of Joe, every episode of Joe Rogan's podcast is like him smoking a cigar with the Republican. That's a really good description of what's going on. Hey, Cap Power, you like cigars? <laughs> but I don't. I don't know if. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing is, I think if you've been doing it as long as Howard or Super Sexy Ryan Seacrest, that you've kind of been like. Um, you respect the medium in a way that others don't. They, they must think that like that's part of it. And like I have, you know, clearly this has worked well for me in the past. So why change it? Yeah. Up? Like it's, it's also, they're making a shitload of money. It's just, you know, it's like Charlemagne the God still does the breakfast club, even though he definitely does not need to. Like there's no reason he should get up at 5 a.m. and have his driver take him from, you know, Montclair, New Jersey to, to Tribeca to record that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also like that's, you know, that put me here. So there's like a little bit of respect. Yeah. That like I, I couldn't do this podcast. I wouldn't have all these TV shows if I didn't do this. And like I have to pay respect to the game. Yeah, but those, those people are, they get to be on that cusp. They're probably the last radio personalities in the world who are going to, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. No, me and you when we take over for Kevin and Bean. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. K Rock, bang our line. You know who to call. Brand new puddle of mud coming up after the hour. Go see those guys tonight <laughs> at the Ice House in Pennsylvania. Oh. oh I would never want to do that because you can't say anything you want to say. You can't say bad words. I would kill. I would kill to do it. And if we get the offer, you're doing it with me. So just just know that. I've I've done clean radio before. They chew you up, they spit you out. I don't think I like I, I could work clean. But you do get to meet a lot of celebrities very quickly. It's still, it's one of those things that's going to be around. It's a cockroach. It's going to be around forever. And it's still, mm. it still matters. And even though people we know think it doesn't, it does, you know, and it's like the reach is much, much further than yeah. what we're doing. I, I, that's I just the reality. Diplo was talking about that too. He's like, people tell me the radio stuff still matters. And I go and do this interview on this radio station in fucking, you know, Denver or well, Tallahassee. And I'm just like, what well, this is, what am I doing here? To be fair, to be, to be fair to radio and to Diplo, I don't know if his like business house tracks are really Really, you know, radio <laughs> friendly. I think more of the Justin Bieber, what do you mean era, it made a little more sense for him to be working the circuit. Yeah, you know they, I mean? they only have those people on there just so when they're done with their 
seven minute interview about absolutely nothing, they can be like, Hey Justin, can we get you just to say uh, yeah. hip hop lives only on power 106.com <laughs> yeah. it's and they're just gonna play hey, that it's diplo <laughs> well past the point where bieber overdoses on fentanyl 50 years from now they're still gonna be playing hey guys it's me yeah of course and you're listening to the only home of hip-hop 98 the fact that we're not getting our guests to do station ids on on how long gone is actually stupid i know i only have one dj drop and it's from the game i, forgot, I knew yet i need to start doing one he, go, he goes like this <laughs> that's it that's it uh it's just him saying it could be anyone really speaking of morning radio our guest today has probably done a shitload of acoustic versions of hit songs at six in the morning <laughs> that's not something i wish on my worst enemy uh richard marks is a a legendary singer songwriter mm-hmm. uh he's written songs for everyone from luther vandross to nsync josh groban natalie cole keith urban one of our favorites here mm. um and uh, he's got a new book out called Stories to Tell. It's his memoir. Uh, I'm sure he's a legendary stick man. We'll see if we can get him to talk about that. Currently married to MTV personality Daisy Fuentes. Which we all, we all grew up with, Daisy. I had a personal relationship with her when I was a youngster. I bet, I bet it was personal. It was called parasocial and personal. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that you at least know who she is. Uh-huh. Uh, but... She's on my radar. But Richard Richard also has, has come to prominence lately because he's a Twitter fingers power user, mm-hmm. uh, much much like myself. The man can't stop tweeting, just like you. He can't stop fucking tweeting. Uh, so let's, uh, let's give Dick Marks a buzz and uh, see what's going on. <laughs> Ask your doctor if you have, <laughs> if you have Dick Marks. How are you guys? We're great, man. We're great. We're just um we've had a pretty crazy week of podcasting just because of some um schedule shifting and like people coming out of the woodwork, you know what I mean? So, we're rolling with the punches. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm in the middle of doing shows again, which has just been like heaven. Mm. You're back on stage. You're back where you belong. What what city are you in right now, Richard? Oh, I'm off. I've got 2 days off and I played in uh Clearwater, Florida and last night in uh a little place called Anna Maria Island, which is about four hours from Miami. So we have a place in Miami. Oh, so yeah. we beautiful there. Uh, I drove back to uh, hang out for two days with my wife here in Miami at our place here. And then I'm off to Kentucky and then Nashville next week and then back to L.A. for a break. So so you guys normally live in L.A., but you got a crib in Miami. Yeah, it doesn't suck. And you're like, yay, I get to go to Kentucky. Yeah, I get to go to Lexington, but they're paying me, so it, it could be worse. I uh, I was just in Miami, and I was talking about how fucking insane it is now. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe on Star Island it's different, but where I was, it was um, it was <laughs> really lit, man. It was really extreme. Oh, no, no. It's it's super lit, but we're not we're, we're not in <laughs> Miami Beach. We're, are you a Key Biscayne guy? Are you a Key Biscayne guy? No, we're not in Key Biscayne, but okay, we're okay, okay. kind of like same, like equidistant to Key Biscayne, just in another little community. Another area, okay. okay super quiet and chill. And it's like it's island living, you know. It's like it's really, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's a whole different um, kind of awesome than L.A. Yeah, it's just yeah. a different world. And we're here mainly because Daisy, my wife's family's here, and uh, her parents are getting up there. So we want to spend more time with them and her sister and brother-in-law and nephews live here. So it's a family. It's always a great family hang when we're here and. And then we go back to that shithole known as Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're really you're so you're a real you're a real ocean worshiper, huh? Yeah. You, you do you love the water or you just love expensive neighborhoods? Richard, you you're an air sign, Richard. I have a feeling. Am I what? 
Are you an air sign? I'm a Virgo. It's my my wife is a Scorpio, so she needs to be near the water. So you just do what you're told. You're we're Virgos as well. It's a Virgo forward podcast. Us Virgos, we like fiery women, don't we? We do. You know the Virgo Scorpio uh, compatibility is off the charts. I don't even know what my what my life partner's astral astrological symbol is, but whatever it is, it's working. <laughs> we've actually it's weird. We've had we've had musical guests on this week. We had Diplo who who lives in Malibu. Yeah. We just did a podcast with uh, with Cat Power who lives in Miami. Yeah. I feel like there's a real connection between the three of you people other than just doing this beautiful podcast. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Are you yeah. fans of either of those musicians? Yeah, I mean, I know Diplo stuff more um and I'm certainly a fan and my sons, two of my sons uh kind of turned me on to electronic music a long time ago so that i have my favorites and yeah i try to keep up with- that's the only reason to have kids that i can find yeah pretty much <laughs> they force you to stay plugged in and even if you hate it at least you know about it yeah and i end up loving most of it like um mm. we sh- we still share music with each other which is really cool so they've turned me on to beautiful you know a lot of uh electronic music that i ended up loving and then i turned them on to people like tovlo and mm. and they're like they didn't really mm. know tovlo and and this girl Mimi Webb, who I'm a huge fan of, and um, so we, we, it's kind of cool. Like my, my sons are 28, 29, and thirty one, so they're not. Oh, these guys are adults. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So they're what? So they think you're cool now. They they're over the phase of like of of, of thinking you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I mean, in <laughs> fairness, they have you know since especially since they've been adults, they at least pretend to make me think that they think I'm cool because there's a will. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Chris, I've been fairly successful and these guys aren't dumb. You know, okay? They know what's dumb. going on. They're like, they're like, Dad, you're uh, so cool. You're so timeless and ageless. Like, <laughs> okay. So, so it feels better when people say that to you who are not in your last will and testament. Then it's really authentic. It feels, it feels a little. It feels a little more authentic. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, I can I can understand that. I can I can understand that. I, I mean, mean, thank God for them that that dad was making music in the 80s and 90s when you know that was that last moment before and i don't think you were the type of person who would uh who would blow that cash i feel like you were pretty smart with your money back then no i was i was smart with it mainly you know i credit my father who was uh like maybe the most talented musician i've i ever knew but taught me when i was old enough to grasp the concept so maybe like 11 or 12 he taught me that there is a reason it's called the music business. And he said, you know, a lot of people only focus on the first of those two words and I need you to focus on both. Mm. And so, you know, I, I was smart. Uh, first of all, I'm just not, I think my personality is not, has never been like, I need the fucking red Lamborghini or to make up, make up for my, yeah. you know, a tiny penis or any of that stuff. It's like, <laughs> You didn't have DJ Khaled syndrome, as they say. I did not. <laughs> not suffering from your your neighbor. To quote to quote another jet ski owning uh, Miami resident. Yeah, and you know one of there are many differences between me and DJ Khaled, and one of them is that I enjoy pleasuring a woman. I really enjoy it. <laughs> God, I'm I'm glad we have a clean take of that. Yeah, that's good. I, no, I mean, I, uh, that's smart. I was pretty smart about it. You know, I um I knew I also probably learned from. And I don't. I won't name names, but when I was starting out in in L.A., I worked with a couple of really, really famous, successful people. Who? Oh, sorry, guys. 
okay. uh, who, uh, who taught me how to not do it. And, you know, if they'd make $10,000, they spent $20,000 and then they were always scrambling. I was, I would watch them like sort of freak out a little bit. And I thought, that's just not, that's just not inherently who I am. It's not where I, how I was raised. And so um, I've never been reckless, but I also, I feel like I enjoy my wealth in a responsible way. I told my kids, you know, I want to be able to want to be one of those old men who's, who's one of my last statements should be, may my last check bounce. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I was like, you, I, I said, look, if I had daughters, it would be a different thing, but you're men. So you're going to have to fend for yourselves because I'm spending all this shit. I'm not giving you <laughs> what are these guys. What do these guys do for a living? And are they dating? Are they dating celebrity offspring, or have they dated celebrity offspring? Oh, that's a question I've never been asked. No, they're all they're all involved. They're all uh, one of them's married to a really cool young woman who is not in the entertainment business. She's a graphic artist and mm-hmm. does some other stuff. And uh, one of them is in a two year relationship with. Uh, I would call her an influencer. She's <laughs> okay. And I tease her about it all the time. I'm like, Oh my God, you're such an influencer, but she's doing well. Like she's working that game. She's working. She knows exactly what she's doing. And, and then the other one is in a committed relationship with a really talented singer songwriter. Hmm. And uh, her name is Lydia Cassetta. I'll plug her because she has an Instagram and her music is out and she's really, really talented. But okay. one of them did, for a couple of years, date the granddaughter of Julie Andrews. Yeah, that's some L.A. shit. I feel like that's I've heard... That's some L.A. shit, right? That's mm. some L.A. shit. That, yeah, that's some L.A. shit. You, 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 basically, what happens yeah. is you go from Malibu to NYU... Yeah, you know. Yeah, you date you date a Julie Andrews granddaughter, and then you come back to LA and you get a job at you know Willie Morris, right? You know, if you, if that's if that's the way you <laughs> want to do it, you know. And I I I see that's a pretty good life in my opinion. I don't I don't see a problem with that. You know, what's you're gonna experience different relationships. Why not have one with the daughter, the granddaughter of Julie Andrews? <laughs> exactly. No, that's a very that's an elevated way of thinking. I enjoy the sound of music as much right? as the next fellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and my exactly, and my son exactly. has stories, and they and they parted very amicably a few years ago and he he can see he has the stories to go yeah julie andrews made me dinner one night like i mean that's a great story to tell people that is a great story to tell he's one up and you on that one yeah you ain't even got that yeah your little in sync stories ain't doing much at dinner these days you know? exactly exactly pales in comparison <laughs> i i mean I just I think it's so interesting to talk to I, I just we, we talk about this sometimes on the show because like I love my parents but they're not cool you know in any way they didn't they didn't put me on to any music we have like a great relationship but it was never like I know people that have had that and it's a it's a very different way of being raised yeah. you know like so I think it's it I feel like you know you, you kind of have one step ahead depending on what you want to do with your life yeah well when it comes to my offspring or my spawn as I call them um <laughs> You know, I, I, may, I can kibitz with you and joke here on the podcast, but the truth is I have this extraordinary friendship with all three of them. They're, they're my best friends. They, they are a big part of our life, like our, our weekly life. We hang out. We have family dinners together. They have formed a bond with my wife, um, and they're still close to their mom, but they, mm-hmm. it, it has been a seamless transition over the last eight years of me divorcing their mom and then remarrying and you know sometimes that that can be a little awkward or take some time in our case it was just so fluid and 
it speaks to Daisy, my wife, and it speaks a lot to them uh, because they see, yeah, for sure. they see that their dad's like really, really happy and that's that matters to them. And now we're all, we just, we're like best friends. We vacation together. We hang out all the time together and beautiful. I'm a lucky guy. I love that for you. How many times have you been married, Richard? 84 times. <laughs> Only twice? <laughs> twice twice <laughs> okay you just lived you just lived a lot of life you know what i mean so i didn't know i uh, lived a lot of life and i had a really really long first marriage i mean i had an extraordinary uh, 25 over 25 years and i think the world of my ex-wife it's not acrimonious it's uh it's just you know people come to a crossroads in their lives where they want different things and it happened after my our kids were grown and mm-hmm. it, it's fine it's all good you know <sighs> I don't know, man. You sound like you got to figure it out in some ways, but I mean, you know, I'm sure you got problems. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but a mean, but a mean ex-wife isn't one of them. No, no, I mean that's that's a that's a gift. I mean, I I just feel like you do have some knowledge to bestow on us young bucks, you know, since you've you've been through the ringer a, f- a few times. I mean, at least Yeah, you I feel like you're a little bit of a relationship or a love expert, not a guru. Why not a guru? Why not a guru? <laughs> you don't have a beard. Uh, I could Give me two days. Can you can grow a good beard, Richard? Oh yeah, I, I had super heavy beard. Like it's just that it's oh. it's become mostly white now. So I mm. I kind of keep it I keep it close. It's a, the five o'clock shadow is a, lot, a little wider than you'd like it to be. It's way more salt than pepper now. Did you did you have a did you have a beard phase in like the eighties? Yeah, if you Google it, <laughs> uh, I posted it once in a while because it's hilarious because I I had a beard for um, like the better part of one tour and like. 1990 and that's when my hair was the size of a house anyway oh man i'm looking at it right and now it was just, i just looked like a gigantic piece of hair it was just <laughs> i looked like i looked like cousin it from the adams family it was yeah, like this and but like that time I remember, you know, you're you're a little older than we are, but I remember being a youngster in the 80s when people would have this haircut and that was the epitome of the sexiest, best looking hair a guy could have and just like teased out poofy bangs, full business in the in the front, party in the back mullet, yeah. hairspray, blow dryers, the whole thing. And that has aged so poorly over the years. When you look at those old eighties movies, it people just I mean, you look good, of course. Of course. But but most folks with that haircut, you're like, what what what, what was going on through everyone's mind other than cocaine? What made everyone do <laughs> yeah. I can't like, even blame on it on blow. I, I didn't do blow. You didn't you, hold on, you didn't do coke? No, I ne- I've never done coke to this day. Wow. No, in fact I never in fact I never ever smoked a joint until I was fifty years old. Who made you smoke a joint? Who convinced you? Which which one of which one you of your sons which one of your sons rolled the joint for you? Let's put it this way. My my uh my my pot education mm-hmm. ha- was definitely cultivated by two thirds of my spawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would guess that. I would guess I that I found that uh it's not my thing. Like smoking pot is not my thing. I you know I done it enough times to know that yeah like i i i'm cool with the buzz of it but i don't like the the physical effect of it maybe it's that i'm so paranoid as a singer i don't i just i've I've never smoked a cigarette to this day in my life man you're okay well i mean you you got you still got honey in your voice and you look amazing for your age so obviously uh this is this is paid off well i mean despite a passionate love of vodka and tequila 
Yeah, I was just going to say, after perusing your Instagram page, more photos than not, are you saluting the camera with a martini? Yeah. I'm a big martini guy as well. What's your favorite martini in LA? Well, anywhere, my favorite martini is a Belvedere straight up, no vermouth twist of lemon. I'll do olives. Belvedere straight up with a twist. Yeah, no vermouth. What kind of Belvedere deal? What kind of Belvedere deal do you have? It sound that sound that came too quick. <laughs> Are they paying you, or is this is this just a true love affair? No, but I, if I keep mentioning it, maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. I, that's our that's our trick as well. We like to do that, so I, I understand. Please continue. Please, you continue. know, when you have even the most modest following on social media, and I, like on Facebook, my and and I never physically i mean i never personally really interact too much on facebook i just post on it and i don't really the devil's playground but it's like Mm -hmm. over a million people and um and i'll but i will absolutely and have maybe a half a dozen times over the last few years tagged belvedere Mm -hmm. (laughs) thinking because like i was saying if you have even a modest following you get companies that that were like hi we saw that you liked our thing you don't have to tell us we we have a modest following we're exactly you're talking about yeah so i think (laughs) something in myself well, this Belvedere thing's a slam dunk because I got so many great pictures of me with a bottle of Belvedere and with the martini and looking like James Bond in some of these pictures. <laughs> and they could give mm-hmm. zero fucks. They can't say no they to the marks, man. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They just leave you on on red. They don't even give you a double tap. No, no oh. nothing. That's pretty. That's pretty funny. Belvedere, we're coming for you. By the by, the time this episode comes out, Richard, there'll be a case waiting on your doorstep. You so actually, door. I, you know what? In fairness, uh, they did. I I actually forgot about this. Uh, about six weeks ago, they sent me a, a box of two very special editions. Mm-hmm. So that's something. That was a nice gesture. So maybe it, maybe it's like a first okay. date. Maybe it's like a first date. No, they're they're <laughs> they're flirting, but you want to consummate, and they need to <laughs> they need to send. It's more like a six bottle a month kind of you know delivery. Belvedere, he's ready to fuck. Let's just stick it in. <laughs> yeah, all right? yeah, seriously, yeah. Seriously. I mean, I, I'm I'm so easy. Like you have no idea how quickly they could get into my pants. She's she's waiting for it. Okay, well I'm a big martini guy. We're going to a dinner tonight with a couple musicians, and I'm wondering how many. I've never met these people before, so I want to kind of keep keep my uh, the words coming out of my mouth a little bit reined in. What is your um, what is your martini count for a casual dinner amongst friends? Generally speaking, my, my wife has the perfect analogy for this. Okay, and I wish you were here because to, for her to say it is much more appropriate. But I, this is not me saying it. This All right, I'm closing repeating. my eyes and picturing the beautiful Daisy Fuentes this is right me now. Me repeating <laughs> Daisy Fuentes, and sometimes we'll be out with people, and, and this kind of topic will come up, and I'll go, Daisy, what's the rule about martinis and mm. tequilas? She says martinis and tequilas are like tits. Yeah. One is not enough, and three is too many. Daisy's got a little side career in stand-up, I can tell. That's Jason. a classic classic martiniism. I've heard a, a very similar one, but there's an addendum on it. One martini, not enough. Two martinis, just right. Three martinis, too much. Four martinis, and you've got a party. That's when you've got two sets of tits. You know what I'm saying, Richard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. I just the other night, I was on stage. I always have a, I always have a martini on stage, and... Um, the other night in Clearwater, I was toasting the audience. We were having the greatest time. And, and I riffed, it occurred to me that, and I love that I did it on the mic. And now I'm going to keep it in my show because I said, you know, it just occurred to me, you guys, I can, I can sort of apply song titles 
two numbers of martinis. So of my song <laughs> title. So like one martini don't mean nothing. <laughs> two two martinis satisfied. Three martinis should have known better. There you go. Yeah. Wow, wow, that is good. That's and that's off the dome. That is good. The I'm sure the crowd in Clearwater appreciated that. They did. Four. Uh, now I just re- I realized four martinis hazard. I can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have a set list in front of him. This is just so you've, you've written so many songs that you can kind of create your own language now at this point. Well, I, I think I realized subliminally now that that's the only reason I kept writing all these songs is that I'd have this list of martini ratio metaphors. That's the only reason I got into songwriting. It really wasn't to get laid. It was really just so that someday... <laughs> I could make this joke about my song titles and Martinez. Stage banter is tough, you know. So if you can, and that's that's one of the harder things to achieve. You know, a lot of guys can write hits, but when they get on stage, they clam up. Yeah, I think I think Richard is kind of connected to the comedy community, though. So I think his little crowd work in between songs is probably hitting better than most musicians on stage. I'm assuming. Uh, I will say humbly that the greatest compliment I get on a regular basis is people going. I had no idea you were so funny. I laughed so hard throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it's become a thing where, um, and maybe it is testament to my friendships with a handful of comedians who I have great respect for. I think my show now is a mix between music and comedy. I, I, I would, oh, I like, that. I wouldn't shy away. I wouldn't shy away from that description at this point. And that did that happen organically or is that something that you set out to do completely organically in that I, I never, came up with a bit it all happened organically but then i would recognize that wow that that killed like people are laughing their asses off. i'm gonna try it again tomorrow night so so before you get like a little polite giggle and now people are kind of bellying belly laughing and doubling over in their seats in clearwater i would love to hear an example of some well of first a, of, of all you know the audience uh is is if they've never seen me in concert before, the one thing that's surprising to them is that I work blue, as they say, in that <laughs> Do you really? I'm not. I know I'm Mr. Romantic right here waiting guy, but on the stage, I say fuck like every other word. And <laughs> he works blue. <laughs> Mark, so rest in peace, Bob Saget. But you've got a little bit of Saget in you is what you're saying. Yeah, okay. totally. And he was my pal. Like, I loved him. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the dichotomy. The dichotomy between Bob's TV dad, favorite TV dad character and who he really was and what he talked about was interesting to me. And I think that that exists in me, too. I mean, I for me, the the more dark and dirtier the humor, the better I like it. So this is this is music to my ears, Richard. I got to say you have to find you have to find nuance because I do realize that sometimes there are little kids in the audience or, you know, older people who might be offended by it. So I try to walk the line a little bit but generally if i air it's i air on the side of saying fuck a lot i was gonna i was because i was gonna ask what the if we pull up to the to the if you know jason and i gas up the how long gone jet and we head to kentucky to catch the show you know what is the crowd looking like like what are the what is the the archetypal fan that that in your mind when you're staring out after a couple martinis i would say it's a really good question but i would say it's the same archetypical fan 25 30 years later mm-hmm. and they're bringing their husbands and so it's mostly couples you know yeah. back 20 years ago or 25 years ago it was like 80 percent female which was didn't was not a bad thing that was great chicks, <laughs> chicks only baby i, I can imagine yeah, it was I almost like a freaking chippendale show you know mm-hmm. practically yeah, um, yeah audience and you're the only dancer i was the only dancer in chaps because we because we we went on tour you know and we did we did like 10 or 11 shows and i think the biggest thing for us was 
uh, realizing who our crowd was and who it wasn't. You know, because you you think you know, and then you get out there and you see who's actually buying tickets and 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 buying T-shirts and shit, and you yeah. realize you realize who it is. We may and, have been doing we may have been doing smaller venues than you are doing, so we might have a little <laughs> bit of a better look at the crowd. But well, I mean, it depends if if I'm playing a band show, I'm playing a bigger place. But my when I'm doing these shows that I'm doing right now, these solo acoustic shows, mm-hmm. it's just me on stage, and so I'm playing anywhere from I don't know seven hundred seats to no more than 2000. So it's mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Like in Nashville, at the end of the next week, I'm playing this really small place that I think is only 400 T's, but I'm playing three nights in a row. So it's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I do a song every night completely unplugged where I just stand on the edge of the stage with no mic and, and sing and play. Wow. And you can't, you can't do that in a bigger no, you can't. venue. And, no, you can't. and I can tell you that it never fails to kill because you just don't really see that anymore, you know. No, it's you like you really don't. Is that why did you start doing that? Because I can. <laughs> I was about to say because he can fucking sing, and when you, and there's so many people that cannot sing that make a lot of money as singers. Well, I mean, you could sing, but to have that kind of physically belting out something that can yeah. fill a room, not everyone has that. I just know. I'll tell you exactly where it came from. When I was a kid, and I think when I was like 12 or 13, my parents took me. I mean, they took me to a lot of great concerts and concerts I wanted to go to. But they, as I say, they dragged me to a Tony Bennett concert when I was 12. <laughs> and believe me, I was the only 12-year-old there, and I was fucking pissed. I, was not, I did not want to be at Tony Bennett. No, not at 12. Not at 12. <laughs> no. That's, that's a lot. But I had already started thinking about being a professional singer. I was dabbling in songwriting already. I was like the people I really admired, Paul Simon and Elton John and like... So I I approached it like, okay, I'm going to be open to the music, even though it's this old American songbook that I don't really get. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it took about three songs for me to realize I was witnessing the greatest singer I'd ever heard. And he was and I've seen him 10 times. I saw him a couple of years ago, like at 91. And he still blew my mind. And but in the middle of this show, when I was 12, you guys check this out. Mm-hmm. It was at this place outside of Chicago called Ravinia, and it's where I grew up going to concerts. And it's a it's a semi outdoor pavilion. It holds about six or seven thousand people. I've played it many many times. It's a beautiful place. And he he walked to the edge of the stage without his microphone, and his piano player played and he sang one song. And I just remember thinking, even at 12, I remember thinking, if I'm ever lucky enough to be a professional entertainer, performer, I'm going to do that shit. And it took <laughs> me a long time to like figure out the, the timing and the, and the means to do it. But I started doing it about 10 years ago at as many shows as I can, whenever it's appropriate. And it's a real moment between me and the audience. It's like, it's really you're seeing the man behind the curtain, you know. And if, yeah. if you don't have the goods, you're gonna you're gonna show everybody you don't have the goods. You're going you're going out there on the tightrope with no yeah. no safety net. Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. There's no there's no hiding from that. When you damn when you do these solo shows, what what's the what's the touring party looking like? Tour manager, sound guy. What's the how many people we got? Guess what? My tour manager is my sound guy. Oh, damn. Richard's playing 4D chess with us, Jason. We're not splitting up that money. That, that's how the rich get richer. I see what you're doing. First of all, I would do it anyway because it's just, I love playing with my band and I love playing a rock and roll show and like sort of just running around and sweating and doing that thing. It's really fun. It's nothing like it. But as a communicator and as a storyteller, 
the solo shows are like the greatest gift I ever gave myself. And I've been doing them now for about 10 years. And it also just turns out that because I found, and he's the guy I'm with now that work with, that I work with now, Sam is like a gold mine. He's an incredibly talented guy and he's a great guy. We love hanging out together, but I had somebody before him in that same role. So I just determined that I don't need a crew. Like we can pick up local guys. I'm, I'm not, High maintenance mm-hmm. on the road. Yeah, he's not. You're not high maintenance. You just take the private plane. He takes Delta Comfort Plus. You know, it's no big deal. It's it's no. You know, I, I mean, mean, it's not. It's not crazy. I mean, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, it's just a very profitable. <laughs> yeah, streamlined. Uh, no, I mean that's that's how we run our business as well, and it's it's a beautiful thing because it's tough to make a living in this biz nowadays, especially yeah. when you got to divvy that check up eight eight times. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you still keeping a vegan diet, Richard? Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't okay. think I don't see it ever going back. How long? How long are we talking? How how far? How deep um, in are we? Seven years in. I know some guy, like I've known Brian Adams for a long time. Brian Adams has been vegan for thirty years, and I, I the last time I talked to him a couple of years ago, he was giving me a pat on the back for like you know being vegan, and I said, "Dude, how did you? What did you eat back then?" He went, "Fucking potatoes." <laughs> we talk about that a lot because I was Jason. I. I was vegan in high school. I think Jason was too. Mm-hmm. Why were you Why were you vegan in high school? We were. We went to punk and hardcore shows, and veganism was like a big part of that community. Right. Have, have you ever heard of Straight Edge before, Richard? Sure, sure, of course. Yeah, we we grew up kind of Straight Edge, so a big part of that was you know being poison free. Yeah, right. And the poison included drugs as well as yeah. animal products. My son, my youngest son, uh, took his first drink on his twenty first birthday, and he was completely Straight Edge in high school, and. And uh, I admired him for it. He like he just and it wasn't like a big, you know, soapbox he was on. He was just sort of like quietly like, no, I, I'm doing my thing. You guys can do your thing. It's fine, but I'm not doing that. We were on more of a large soapbox in my case. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was more look at me. I'm not drinking. Yeah, it was more fuck you. I mean, even though even though you're, you're that young, but being vegan in in high school in Atlanta where I grew up was yeah. I mean. I, I stand with Brian. I ate a lot of potatoes. Yeah. And it, my waistline reflected that. Yeah. And how how much nicer is it now because veganism is so popular that when you're on tour in Kentucky or whatever, you can actually get you know something beyond a bag of potato chips or something like that in your hospitality rider. That's that's what I was getting at. Is like I don't see any reason to to go back. First of all, it was an easier transition for me than it was for Daisy because I was vegetarian. I haven't eaten red meat since I was 18. Mm. I, and I phased out poultry probably 15 years ago. Um, and that's tough coming out of Chicago. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, but but I left home when I was 18 and moved uh, to L.A. So it was a little, you know. You were at the Source Source Cafe? Yeah, of course. Of course. We'll get into that later. Don't worry. Sorry, go ahead. And so, you know, kind of going from vegetarian to vegan was the only – hesitation i had at all was uh was eggs because i really loved Mm -hmm. a scramble in the morning for protein and for flavor and everything and then they came out with just egg and that's what that's my jam like it's pretty good so that so just just egg if you're listening right now do like belvedere and start sending over some pallets to the house just egg just egg has treated us very nicely (laughs) (laughs) just egg did back up the truck to the house in miami so it it was it was tougher it was tougher for daisy because she grew up more she's cuban yeah yeah cubans don't that they don't got the pork belly and the plantains yeah i mean cuban raised in jersey Mm -hmm. oh yeah raised in jersey who's cooking at home though 
Besides, if this, if you give the chef the night off, is it you or her? There's no chef. It's Daisy. <laughs> Daisy, uh, Daisy is an incredible. Like my really my joke, which is not a joke, is I go Daisy Fuentes is the most magnificent cook, and she doesn't even fucking have to be. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, she's Daisy sure. Fuentes gilding the lily. So what? So she's cooking it up. She loves to cook. She loves to experiment. And what she's been doing the last seven years is she'll take her favorite recipes and veganize them so mm-hmm. you know i'll sit down to lunch and there'll be this like vegan cubano sandwich that's like un otherworldly just like <laughs> unbelievable uh-huh. um she makes a vegan bolognese she makes vegan pizzas she makes you know and then she gets kind of once in a while she'll do like some really cool bowls that are that are ex- more experimental and she's it's remarkable so I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I'm also lucky that I'm not, you know, 285 pounds. Well, I was going to say you are you are quite <laughs> trim, and we t- we talk a lot about fitness on this show. So I would love to get some. Yeah. You know what are what are you doing? What's the daily routine looking like, especially when you're on the road? Because you know that that becomes a, a different challenge. There's not an equinox in every city, is the problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how do you how do you keep it tight, Richard? But there's uh, if you you know for me the the whole key is variation, and I've learned that over the I was a gym rat for a long time, and I was addicted to you know 50 minutes on the elliptical, and then a, a tri- you know like a circuit of weights and stuff like that. And I at that time maybe this is a uh, up until maybe seven years ago, I was maybe a little too thin. I was. Doctor said you're a little underweight. I was underweight. I, you know, I'm five ten. I'm not a big guy. I'm five ten, and I was like one forty five. Like it was crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's small. That's small. That's Chris's goal weight, but yeah, that's unhealthy. <laughs> but it looked good on stage. Like you know, I would look at. <laughs> there we go. At, <laughs> there we go. You didn't have any bad angles. I would, you know, you look at Mick. It's like Mick looks great on stage. He's probably severely underweight, but he looks fucking great on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over the last few years, I got out of the gym. And I hike as much as I hike. When we're in LA, I hike at least five days a week. I'm like at least three to four miles, sometimes six. And I just need to be outside. So you're just up in the Malibu Hills, checking out the ocean. All over the place. Malibu, Hidden Hills, um, Mm -hmm. all over. Like we have all these state parks near us in LA. So there's always trails to go to. And and so there's that. And then we we do have a really nice gym in our house. So we supplement with that. Um, But my cardio, like the... The days of like getting on a hamster wheel and pumping out mm-hmm. 45 minutes of cardio. That's just so boring for me. I do it in a hotel if I have to, but yeah, I would much rather if it's a, if it's, if the weather permits, I don't care what town I'm in. I just get outside and we'll walk. It's a challenge. The, the elliptical, the treadmill. I mean, I was rehabbing an ankle injury. I could finally run outside again. And it's like, I, I feel so much better after like, you know, a couple weeks even. And the other thing that's changed my body in the last, two years is menopause menopause for sure (laughs) menopause my wife uh is a long time uh pilates devotee and she was like she would say to me baby you gotta try pilates i was like i'm not fucking doing pilates it's for girls Mm -hmm. it's like i was prick about it i was like like i need a real workout and she was like you don't understand. It's hard you as fuck. Yeah, do yeah, yeah 100%. Your ass. We've all, all, I mean, Jason's really tall. So some of the, like he's six, nine. So some of these workouts are a little like extra, extra challenging for him. Damn. But I've been in the same position mm. where it's like, 
oh, you're going to do your little workout. You're going to roll around on the floor. And she's like, all right, bitch, come with me. And then I'm literally like the teacher is laughing at me. Mm-hmm. Now I've, I've improved, but it is a humbling workout. Dude, I'm <laughs> addicted to it now. I love it so much. And I've, I've never, I don't think there's any other exercise or, or process, physical process that has so quickly changed my physique mm. where it's, I've gotten leaner and I've got, you know, I've just toned up. And when I do Pilates regularly, it's fun because then I can eat a little bit more of what I love, you know, uh, but you can have a little more, have a corn chips and go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge fan of Pilates. now. And also when you do that kind of stuff where it's like strength and mobility, you just kind of feel better just walking around. Like, well, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm, 50, I'm 58 years old. I'm not going to be pulling on Matthew McConaughey anytime soon. I don't think, but, uh, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, you're right. If you, it's just sort of like, I want to live. I'm really happy in my life. I want to live as healthily and long as I can in that state. And so I know that it, you know, there's a price and and I have to I have to do what I gotta do. You want to be hiking Malibu with Daisy Fuentes. Especially because I love martinis and tequila. So I gotta balance it. You gotta do it. Do you what kind of shoes you wear it on stage, Richard? <laughs> and on the trails. I usually go for lately I've been dressing it up a little bit more. I've been wearing uh, a sport jacket and a dress shirt and like mm-hmm. I, wear, I don't usually wear dress pants. I wear jeans, but like black jeans that are form fitting. And so I've got a really pretty cool pair of, uh, wing tips and mm-hmm. I got a nice pair of dress boots. I took you for a boot man. That's why I was asking. I feel like the, nothing looks better on stage than a boot. Yeah. I mean, I used to wear cowboy boots all the time and jeans. That was my thing. But now, um, if I wear a, mm-hmm. a boot, which is probably half the time on stage, they're the, they're just sort of like faux, these faux leather, uh, black half mm-hmm. boots that are dressy. You know, they go with a suit, they go with jeans, whatever. And it gives you, but it doesn't give you any ankle problems or any calf issues or anything. That's why I was asking. <laughs> no, but I think, I think it's that because the, I'm hiking. I'm hiking all the time. So, you know. What's the hiking footwear? What color hokas do you have? Always like a dark brown or a black. I don't, I don't like uh, colored old footwear on the trail or working out. My sneakers in the gym, black or white. I've been doing hiking shoes for years, and I just graduated to a pair of hiking boots, and so far I'm kind of mm-hmm. digging it. The okay. ankle stability changes the changes things. Exactly. Dodge some of that chaparral on the ankles. Yeah. So you're you're drinking martinis and, and tequilas all the time. I feel like you you might have a good hangover regimen for a person of your age who's, you know, zipping around from town to town. It beats me up and I uh and I am younger than you, so I want to know some uh, some tips from you for hangover relief. I don't have any because I don't get hangovers, man. I'm really, really lucky. And I think part of it is that I I drink so clean. I don't do mixed drinks, and I never combine alcohol. So if I have, even on the rare occasion when I'll overindulge, I'm going to have three or three and a half martinis or tequilas, but it's pure. It's clean. And yeah, um, I my sleep suffers a little bit sometimes but when i wake up even if i'm hammered when i go to sleep i wake up ready to hike i don't ever have a hangover you got a you got a sauna you got a sauna in the crib i got a sauna yeah we have an infrared sauna oh baby i, I knew it jason just got one and he's really living a re, uh, infrared lifestyle now awesome dream come true it's really awesome the the clean the clean drinking part really does help i think if i drink two vodka martinis I will feel better than if I have, you know, two glasses of wine. Yeah, totally. I agree. I get sleepy with wine. I love wine, but I, I, it makes me sleepy. Uh, sure. And tequila is fun because, you know, it's the only upper. It's the only booze. 
that's yeah. an upper stimulant. I'll tell you who you could ask is uh, for the best hangover remedy is, is Chad Kruger from Nickelback. He will tell you. <laughs> really? Chad's the doctor I need to go see. I was, I was, I thought you were going to say a Sammy Hagar or something like that. No, but Chad, look, Chad is, <laughs> Chad is living the, the ultimate rock star existence. Okay. Where no one other, where as everyone else is sort of like graduated into Pilates and veganism, Chad is still a fucking rock dog, and he's okay. damn. That makes me. I I like that. I like that. That's cool. He's still pedal to the metal. I love him. I think he's incredibly underrated as a singer and really underrated as a songwriter. I've written songs with him. He's mm-hmm. a fucking badass songwriter. Songwriting, yeah, and a great hang. We but we have we've had some fun times together. He, yeah, he seems like the kind of guy who's also low key done very very well for himself. You know, and it's really like done well. when you become mocked at that level, yeah. like mm-hmm. that is when I know you're rich. Well, tell me about it <laughs> in a situation like that. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it. He's like, that's right, baby. I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think that like that is I don't think the, the general public understands that like it's like when you get made fun of on Saturday Night Live, like you've graduated to a new level of fame. That right. is just like right. you know it, that that hopefully equals money to you if it if it's if it's becoming you know it's like when that, people that it's serious. like when haters on social media will go nobody plays your music anymore I always go well, my accountant disagrees yeah bro yeah we're all good <laughs> that's all yeah exactly yeah. yeah I think if you're able to kind of weather that storm as an art you know cause, so what what time or what time period do you think you receive the most uh, ridicule for your career? I think the worst of it was that it w- when it shifted. And I think, you know, Nickelback's another good example. And like Nickelback was the biggest selling band in the world for a couple of years. And, mm-hmm. and um, it was like, they could do no wrong. And then something just shifted. In my case, I think it was a vibe shift. It was that I had broken my career at rock radio with, with a song called don't mean nothing. And then followed it up with another rock song, should know better. And so I was, I, I really started my career at rock radio and mm-hmm. my record company, they weren't that interested in anything except profit. And so <laughs> if you look at the history of rock bands and rock artists, for the most part, if they've recorded or released a ballad, it's the ballads that are like, look at journey, mm-hmm. look at Brian Adams, look at, even Kiss is Beth is the like their one of their biggest songs, you know. Scorpions. Scorpions. When it when it became clear that I had a knack for writing ballads, even though there were only one or two ballads on every album, that's what the record company pushed. And so all of a sudden I became mm. this balladier, this this sort of, you know, romantic, and that you're just you're just waiting for the onslaught of haters. And and it it just shifted. And then it became a thing where you know, the critics just decided to really go after me. And then, and I think over time, you know, especially when you've broken out in a way where you have a big female audience and mm. you're looked at as being maybe less serious, a musician or less serious, a performer because you're cute or you have hair or whatever it is <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's it sort of, it's sort of, uh, it, it perpetuates a desire for people to just beat you up and you know <laughs> it hurts for a minute and then i just was like fuck it whatever I, you know i'm having fun well i think that's no i mean i think it's a it's a story of resilience i really do because i think i mean it was also probably a little bit before the internet was the monster that it is now yeah you know so it's like a little easier to escape but i mean i think that the this is what i say all the time it's like 
you know, if people come shit on us, I'm like, well, this is annoying because I'm not making enough fucking money. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you got like if you if people are shitting on you, but you got the bread, it's like, all right, man, well, I won. So I don't really care what what you think about it. Like the shows are sold out. Like everything's going yeah. well for me. Yeah. Like if you don't if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. Right. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. good. Look, there are plenty of artists. There are plenty of artists who I can't stand. I just don't ever talk about it. I would never publicly rag on another artist ever. I think it's just the word like the one thing that performers and and creative people should not do like there's no excuse i mean unless you're responding to someone if someone goes after you mm-hmm. then sure all bets are off i wish i wish i had that kind of self-control Richard. <laughs> yeah but I, I don't Unfortunately, i don't i don't consider myself to be an artist though, yeah so i think that's that's helpful but when people ask me like who do you not like I, I, next question like i'm not gonna there are plenty of people i'm not gonna yeah, talk who cares mm-hmm. well it's more fun to talk about what you do like especially like when it's musician on musician yeah that's what i'd love to do is i love to just sort of praise and and highlight the shit that i love and i don't bash the shit that i hate you know you shouldn't start a podcast then richard yeah do not start a podcast i'm sure they've tried but 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 don't 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 do it trust me i don't care if you have a home studio well i have i have a podcast with my wife we do a we do a weekly podcast called tequila talk and we've been doing it for about a year and uh we talk about all kinds of stuff but we don't ever get into those kind of conversations it's mostly um, lifestyle and relationship and the shit that's pissing us off for, but it's never attacking people. It's just not, it's not our thing. How much tequila are you drinking on tequila talk? Is that the main, the main theme is you guys get a little twisted and start, start gabbing it up. Yeah. That's how it started. We did a, uh, during the pandemic, we did one night, we just did our, she went on her Instagram live cause she's got a really big following on social media too. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I put my camera on and she put her camera on. So we, we were both live on our Instagram pages and we had a tequila or two or three and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just talked for like half an hour. And it blew up like people really, really loved it. And so then um, somebody came out to us and said, how about doing a podcast for us? And so we do it. Uh, we were doing it pretty regularly, but now with the touring, it's a little bit more sporadic, but it's fun. We just, mm-hmm. we, uh, we do it on a weeknight. After, you know, right, either right before dinner, right after dinner, pour tequila, talk about whatever topics we've been talking about. Cool vibe. I love cool it. Cool vibe. Too. I, I love yeah, it. I'm, I'm starting to understand, Jason, that we need to have a couple. We need to make more money. <laughs> um, just from this quick, just from this quick conversation, I'm just feeling like you know, I, I you know, R- Richard has enlightened us on a few things. I feel like he's really got it worked out, but I, I do think it takes mm-hmm. s- some age. You know, I think it takes a little bit of perspective, which I think we're starting to gain as we dip into our forties. Yeah. I think some people consider Richard Rubin to be a musical guru, but I say <laughs> Marx is my guru. <laughs> you Both of you guys can grow a beard. Both of you guys live in Malibu, but you are, are the true Zen master. Mm hmm. And no longer are you. Do you have a relationship with Rick Rubin? You ever see him over at Pavilions? I do. I see him. That's exactly where I see him. <laughs> <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen him there a half a dozen times. I heard that he. I, we had we we just had Diplo on earlier in the week, and he said that he recently took a carnivore diet on the guidance of Rick Rubin. Did you know that he was a carnivore now? I did not know that, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care. 
I don't I, I, I really I cannot tell you how much I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you and Ruben have beef? Is that what it feels like? Not to use a carnivore pun. No, 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 no. I, I he's made some great records. Like mm-hmm. the Wildflowers album for me is like one of my favorites. Oh, baby, don't uh, yeah, yeah, don't get me started on that one. Jason loves when we talk right. about the real white boy shit. And I really like the. Uh, I only I only watched the first episode, but I really liked his uh, show with McCartney. The the conversation with McCartney and. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I have nothing but respect for Rick Rubin. It's just like we just we'll like go. Uh, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm good, man. Yeah, the, good? yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see I, you later. Yeah, I feel like you probably a great person to ask about the the celebrity. Um, you know, you, you always say what's up to each other because there's like an understanding, even if you don't know each other personally. Mm. You know what I mean? Like this is it's kind of what you're describing to me. Like you both know who each other are, and you have to say something because it'd be weird not to. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I. I don't know. There's a. Uh, I would say that ninety percent of the time that's true. But I, I'm. I. Uh, I won't generally go up to someone if they see me or they acknowledge me. I'll always respond. Or yeah, sure. if we just sort of like pass each other and look at each other and I recognize who they are, I'll nod or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, then there are times when you can be the only two public people in a room, and if you don't really have anything in common, you don't have that. That's the only thing you have in common. It doesn't. Mean- when you're, yeah, when you're, mm-hmm. when you're sitting next to Scott Disick at Nobu and Malibu, you guys just keep it. You guys keep it moving. You don't need to dap him up. It's all good. It's two like, legends it's- recognize each other's presence, but that's about <laughs> yeah, exactly. where it stops. Yeah, it's, it's it's two big dicks, one room. It's better just to stay. It's <laughs> right, better just exactly. to stay apart. It's better. You don't want to challenge the room like that. You know, that's a no need. There's no need for that. There's no need. The violence in Malibu is never the answer. No. R- Richard, you said you moved out to L.A. What, 87, something like that? No, 82. Oh, okay, 82. Okay, so walk us through what it was like when you came to L.A. What was the vibe? This is... Like the Miami Vice days. That was like just pre-Miami Vice and all that kind of mm-hmm. uh, excess. So were you were you out hitting the clubs even though you weren't? No, okay. no, no. What were you doing? I went out to L.A. When I, when I moved to L.A., I was 18. I My first job was singing background vocals on Lionel Richie's first solo album. Oh, wow. He left the Commodores. And so it was Baptism by Fire. I was, you know, my first job was on a hit album. And then he recommended me to Kenny Rogers, who I sang for him. And then I ended up writing songs for him. And then I became, I was always trying to get my own record deal, but it took four or five years of that. And in the meantime, I was making a good living as a, as a background singer. I sang on everybody's record you can imagine from mm. the tubes to chicago to madonna to whitney houston to wow. rod Stewart, you name it so you're just a studio rat i was a studio rat but i was in my spare time uh where all my friends were out at the clubs and partying i was in my shitty apartment writing songs mm. writing songs writing songs writing songs i finally made enough money to to buy a little eight track recorder and so then I started to like cut tracks in my apartment and I was somewhat of a recluse when it came to social life. I didn't, I, I didn't really, you know, I would go out with this girl or that girl once in a while, but my whole mission was success. My whole thing was right. I, I want to become a successful performer, songwriter, producer. And that was my focus. That's, that's my Virgo King right there. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. So you, you weren't, you weren't antisocial. You were just, you had a mission you're going to make hay while the sun is shining. You're here. Now's the time. 
Yeah. I can go yeah. out, hit the clubs when I'm older. Yeah. And in retrospect, oh, I probably could have balanced it better than I did, but at the, I'm glad that I did what I did rather than the other. You know, I, I didn't waste any time. And yeah. in that, you know, short, short amount of time. So by the time I had my first hit song as a singer, I was still only 23. Damn, damn, damn. So, That's amazing. Well, wh- where was, uh, where was your shitty apartment in LA? In Encino. Ooh. You know why? Do you know why I was in Encino? Do you know why? <laughs> because in 1982, in Encino, I got a three-bedroom apartment for 600 bucks a month. That's why. <laughs> and one of the rooms was a guest room, and the other room was my studio. And so I lived there for two and a half years, and then wrote a couple of hit songs, and then started to like come into more money. And then I moved to Westwood, which was so badass. <laughs> 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 what was badass about Westwood? Oh, I got it. It was great because I was 20 and I was in Westwood, the heart of UCLA and like oh, hot no girls everywhere no and rest. Like in Sino, I was living next door to the 80 year old people. <laughs> like <laughs> no hang, no vibe. So you got a grandma telling you, you should eat some more, your skin and bones. And then you believe and now you're yeah, with exactly. every 19 uh, year old Bruin. You're too skinny. Here's some soup. What a time. Well, I mean, Westwood just became like, it became, it was like much more fun to live in Westwood. And, um, and it was, and I lived there for a couple of years and then it, that's when I got my record deal and, uh, started touring. And so I was hardly ever home. What's your, that. uh, what's your relationship to New York? What hotels do you like? Over the years, I found that the, the hotel that I like the best, which needs definitely needs some rehabbing and some, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. We're in between renovations right now. Every hotel does it. I'll tell you what I love. I love the New York palace because, Oh baby. Okay. All right. That's tracks for you. The location is great. And it's the only, it's one of the only hotels. I mean, very few hotels in New York where you can still get a big room where the rooms are not little closets. Yeah. And they do, they take good care of us when we go there, but the hotel definitely needs, some management overhaul and like there's it could be so great like it was so great when we yeah, first I mean, it's legendary started. yeah it's legendary I yeah mean, it's, it's a great like, location and it's easy for me because i'm usually if i'm in new york i'm there to work and to do tv and stuff and so it's i can get wherever i need to get pretty quickly and there's some good restaurants around the corner maybe and, the the third the third act of the of Marx's career will be hotelier we're gonna buy the palace we're gonna rejuge it Get it back. Get it back to where it used to be. We can talk to Andy. Get you a little reality show. You know the family reality show. You guys rehab in the hotel. That could be mm-hmm. very, very profitable. There you go. Very profitable. You go. So we'll always, get Ian Schrager on the horn. Yeah, we'll, we'll get pull Schrager. Some strings for you. Even if it's just free corner suite for life, I'll take it. Okay, you're. I like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> New York really needs. I mean, that's the one problem with any hotel in New York is just like great room, amazing service, food's amazing, the lighting is so good, and it's the size of my fucking closet. Yeah, it's like the the Baccarat Hotel is just gorgeous, and I've had dinner there. Beautiful bar, beautiful bar, beautiful bar, and I I stayed there once, and it was like it, but it's really the rooms are really small. You can't stick your arms out without hitting a wall. Can't I can't deal with that? I don't. Yeah, I can't either. And and we're we're big guys, you know what I mean? We need need to spread out. I bring a lot of clothes with me, you know. Um, yeah, Richard, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. And uh, anytime you guys want to catch up again, you know, we'll do it. Oh no, we'll come down to Malibu. I, I eat vegan; it's no problem. Yeah, we'll we'll have you back on the show whenever you want, Richard. Always a treat and a real honor to speak with you. And uh, truly, one of the greats, one of the pros. Well done. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we love a pro. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. See you guys. Be good. <laughs>